And we're back. Wonderful Saturday morning edition of the show. As I'm sitting here watching the quote unquote best players in the world just get killed by a golf course because it's raining and the rough is like nine inches tall. Al, how's, how's your Saturday morning going? It's going. I like been in these days on a Saturday morning. So good to be up and be being pro- being productive right now. Talking a little sports. Yeah, we're we're old now, so we get up at like eight o'clock and seven thirty on a Saturday morning because we literally actually can't sleep anymore. The good old days when we could sleep to about eleven thirty or noon on a Saturday. Long I will gone. say, yeah, I will say to all the teachers out there, uh, we all understand that Saturday mornings hit different when you were a teacher. Yeah, because you don't have to listen to a bunch of screaming kids at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> It's good to know that at 9.30, I can be sitting in my comfortable room and just not have anything else to think about besides the PGA Championship on my, on my TV and talking a little uh, sports right here on the podcast. So, I have one important question for you. Can we get an update on uh, that, the AC? Are you still in a sauna or did it finally get fixed? It's supposed to be fixed on Tuesday. Oh, God. I've, got, uh, I've got the fans going in the room, so we're making it. <laughs> we're surviving. So today on the show, we're going to talk <laughs> a little bit of the PGA Championship, first 36 recap, and if anything exciting happens while we're watching, we'll go ahead and talk about that. Uh, going to talk about the conference finals, uh, last night's game, <laughs> the, Miami, the Miami Heat podcast. Eric Spolstra, invitation still out there, buddy. I would have loved to have had you on this morning. But we'll also do our top 25 preview of the week. It is the Fighting Tigers of LSU, a, a really trendy pick for a lot of people to uh, get to the, get to Atlanta in the SEC Championship. And then our top 10 list of the day will be the top second-round picks in NBA history. Like but it. to start off, he did it again, folks. He did it again. Jimmy Butler just continues – to kill people in the playoffs. And last night, I don't know why Grant Williams felt the need to poke the bear, but he did, and he poked him because Jimmy just took over in the in the fourth quarter like he has every fourth quarter. But last night, you know, he was got a lot of help from Bam Adebayo, I think was like 23-16 and nine, almost had a triple-double. Caleb Martin comes along last night, has a big night. But the story was Jimmy Butler. It has been Jimmy Butler the entire playoffs, and it will continue to be Jimmy Butler as long as this Heat team is in these playoffs. Uh, Al, I mean, what are we seeing right now out of this guy? I mean, this this is something I don't think any of us have ever seen in our lifetime in a playoffs. I mean, this is a whole entire performance that, it may be the greatest playoff performance that we've ever seen from just an entire playoff perspective. Yeah. Uh, I need to go back and look up just kind of what Michael Jordan's averages were um, kind of in his playoff history. But uh, Jimmy Butler's averaging 31 right now in the playoffs. And last night had 27. It's funny, the past two games, the past two games, he's had 25 shots. 12 made field goals, so shooting almost 50% from the field and has 35 in game one and 27 in game two. Efficient Jokic is. I know Jokic has been 
over 60% in some games. But if you just think about the type of shots that Jimmy Butler hitting right now, I feel like the whole team's running around trying to guard him, and he's just hitting ridiculous shots, you know, turnaround jumpers, tough finishes at the rim. He's he's on another level, and he's by far been the best player in the playoffs. And that's, I guess, putting it as light as I, I can put it right now. So he's he's been playing unbelievable. Well, and, and you know, one thing I noticed, and especially in the fourth quarter, you start seeing it a lot. I mean, he is going to get to his spot. Like mm-hmm. he's not he's not settling for shots. He really doesn't settle the entire game, but he's not. He's definitely not settling there in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Right his ability to just get to that spot and then elevate and make the shot. And it doesn't matter if it's a turnaround. It doesn't matter if he's getting to the rim. It doesn't matter if he's guarded with a hand in his face. He's getting to the spot. He's elevating. He's hitting the shot. Yeah. I mean, if he shoots the ball, I'm just expecting it's going in. It's a shock at this point in the fourth quarter when he shoots, if it doesn't go in. I agree. And I think one thing it's kind of overlooked and it's kind of a small, small thing that doesn't get talked about a lot. is just, I think these playoffs are a testament to the Heat and just their conditioning. I mean, think about how – I mean, we have – I'm just going to go through some minutes for Jimmy Butler in the playoffs, okay? All right. Um, 43, 41, 46, 43, 36, 42, 43, 41. Uh, Game one against Boston, 43 minutes. Game two against Boston, 41 minutes. I mean – the guy's on the floor almost the whole game and just keeps keeps putting up these numbers. So I think it's just a testament to a lot of these guys on the heat, their conditioning and, you know, just their ability to play play long minutes in the game. Well, and you talk about that conditioning. I mean, have, and I think at this point everybody has now heard about this infamous heat conditioning test. You know, if you have if, if for people who don't know the Heat start every every preseason camp with the same, and it doesn't matter if you're Max Struss, LeBron James, who uh, you know, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Caleb Mark. It doesn't matter. They've all done it, and it is it is they have they run tens, which is ten lengths of the court. They have a minute to do it. You get sixty two seconds if you're a big man. Then they take a two minute break and they do the same thing again. They do that for five total rounds. And, I mean, you're not the, – the only thing they do differently is you're able to bank time on your early ones. So, if, like, for example, if you do 55 yeah. seconds, you then right. have, you know, five extra seconds on one. Yeah. Um, you know, you just go through these the, – I mean, so you talk about conditioning. I mean, they're one of the best conditioned teams in the, in the NBA because they put such an emphasis on it to start the year. And this yeah. isn't like a, oh, we just got to get in shape thing. This is what they do every year. It does not matter. Yeah. That just goes back to, I think, you know, they they have winners on the court as players and they have winning winning mindsets um, on, at, on their staff as coaches. And they have they, – I guess the big thing I'm trying to say is they all have – they all know what the goals are and they're all bought into – achieving those goals it's it's you know it's funny we, we talk about Jerry Krause what did Jerry Krause he said that players don't win championships what wins championships Rob what do you always say 
organizations organizations but i think this is i think this is the true example of uh you know an eric spolstra a pat riley understanding that organizations do win championships but it's about the players you have on the floor i mean ultimately it comes down to players you have on the floor but giving those players you know a mindset and a focus on just kind of the big goals that we have as an organization well and you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? That's actually what I was going to push back on the Kraus quote, because I don't think he's exactly wrong in saying that. I think it's, but but I think you hit the nail on the head with, it's the organization's job to get those players to play the way they want to play. Uh, right. Just real quick on that heat conditioning test, we'll talk about it. Uh, this is a story from a guy named Kyle Alexander. He was a member of that NBA final team, the 2019-2020, the bubble finals team, and he said, you know, he actually won the contest for fastest time, but he said four people didn't complete that conditioning test. You know who one of them was? Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler. And you know why he didn't do it? His back cramped up during the final round. They made him come back at 4 a.m. to complete it the next morning. Guess who was sitting front row to watch him do it at 4 a.m.? Pat Riley. So That's I mean, crazy. You tell, That's a you heck of a story. Yeah, and you talk about it. You talk about being bought in. That's being bought in from an organization standpoint, from top to bottom. And your, so it's, your team executive, your team president is up at 4 a.m. and he's watching your best player compete, complete his conditioning test at 4 a.m. Yeah. That, that's and when credit, we talk about heat culture. That's heat culture. And a credit to Jimmy Butler. He doesn't have to do that. He could be your stereotypical superstar player and say, you know, forget that. I'm not showing up. Like, it doesn't matter what my conditioning time is as long as I'm scoring, you know, 28 a game. Like, who cares about what my running, what my times are on my my 10, my 10 links of the floor? So I think that's a testament to just his mindset and his focus. And uh, it goes to show, to be honest, if, if Jimmy Butler's willing to show up and complete his conditioning at 4 a.m. and he's the best player on the team, it goes to show that when your best player is your hardest worker, these are the results that you get. Yeah, I just it, – it's amazing, you know, this team. And, again, we're, we're kind of off the Jimmy Butler thing at this point. We're kind of on to the heat and, and talking about the conference finals. But, you know, I think it was ESPN who put out a stat – uh, Thursday, maybe, and it showed you know all these guys that he have, whether it be Bam Adebayo, who's a lottery pick, Jimmy Butler, who is a max guy, but then you have guys like Max Struess, undrafted, Taylor yeah. Martin, undrafted, you know, or hey, Vincent, hey, Vincent, yeah. I think he's undrafted, Duncan Robinson. It's just a, D, a D3 player that went to Michigan. I mean, I'm just saying, there's how many guys – to be honest, Rob, this is reminding me of – you know, it's funny when you – you know the, uh, the one of the greatest intros of all time, the Bulls intro, the 98, you know, and then finally they – they Michael Jordan, 6'6", for North Carolina, yeah. Michael Jordan. But if you listen to all the guys before them, it's like Central Arkansas, New Mexico, South, I mean, Southeastern Oklahoma <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you go you go back to the nine. I think it was I mean, ninety seven was the one where Rodman's still starting. But I mean, it was 
you know, it's Scotty Pippen, South or Central Arkansas. It's Dennis Rodman, Southeast Oklahoma State. It's Luke Longley from New Mexico. It's my, Ron Harper from Miami of Ohio. And then it's, oh, yeah, Michael Jordan, North Carolina. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's kind of like not to, you know, I mean, obviously the Heat still have, they still have some things to, to clean here when it comes to winning a championship. Uh, but it, 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 they're, they're similar. I mean, we have two teams that have – it's all about the role player, the role – finding the right role players. Well, that and that's can, – that, that can add to what the organization then wants, wants um, you know, their focus to be on and getting their guys to buy in. Well, and that's something that I think the, the Heat have probably done the best job since – Maybe even those Bulls. You, you could look back. There's been teams that have been able to get role players to buy in, you know, for years. But, I mean, you look at those early Bulls teams and the, in the early 90s and the late 90s, I mean, whether it was the John Paxson, a Bill Cartwright, a Bill Winnington, a, yep. you know, a Luke Longley, a, you know, guys like that, these role players that are, you know, you go to B.J. Armstrong. I mean, you could just keep naming them, keep naming them. They were able to find these guys who understood their role on the team. And I think that's something the Heat have have really gotten out of everybody is they got guys who understand what their role is on this team. Yep. And I think one thing, too, I just wanted to bring up. Uh, Jimmy Butler, a Houston, Texas kid, plays at Tomball High School. People don't realize Jimmy Butler did he not go straight. Chico. I know. Yeah. Mississippi yeah. State was in a whisker of having him. I'm aware. <laughs> then he went to Marquette. I'm not over it. I won't ever be over it. Thanks, Marquette. <laughs> one reason I don't like saying. one reason I don't like Steve Wojciechowski or Buzz Williams because they took Jimmy Butler from me. Hey, I don't think he gets enough credit, Buzz Williams. You know, um, but. You know, I just don't think a lot – I don't think the average fan knows Jimmy Butler was not a one-and-done player. He was a JUCO player that had to, um, you know, you know, prove himself at the JUCO ranks and then end up at Marquette. And I would say, Marquette, look, they're a heck of a program. I don't think a lot of people even know. And what's up with Marquette players going to Miami? <laughs> we have Dwayne Wade. We have now Jimmy Butler. But, you know, Marquette's – a heck of a program you and I both know just you know and uh last year they were even a two seed in the NCAA tournament shock has got them going in the right direction but they're not a standout program it's not the first program that comes to mind um well, I actually got a friend I don't think I don't think he'd mind me telling this story because we laugh about it but uh I have a friend who coached at Alabama State and uh he played at Arkansas Mardrakis Wade but he was at the NBA top 100 camp uh, in in Virginia, in Charlottesville. That's where they hold it as a high school player. Um, but uh, Jimmy Butler working out because he was in college at the time. And uh, Jimmy Butler was there, you know, because I think I don't know if he had been maybe a part of the program or just came back to, you know, um, kind of be like a camp counselor, so to speak. But they were all trying to play, Rob. They were all trying to get a shot at Jimmy Butler one-on-one. And the story is that, Literally, no one could get past him. They were talking about how he literally would put like a forearm in your side when you would try to drive to the basket, and literally you could not get in. You couldn't even get in the lane against the guy. <laughs> he was just so strong. But yeah. um, you know, I just, just think 
it, it's just amazing to, to really watch his story because, I mean, you know, it, there's always been this, I feel like for Jimmy at least, there's always been this narrative around him, oh, he's a bad teammate. No, he just gets put in, I mean, you look at the situations he's been in and he he continually just, he exceeds expectations, it seems like, every time. I mean, you go back to when he was with the Bulls. I mean, they were really good, but he was not the star of those Bulls teams. Yeah. Was Fred Hoiberg the coach for him? No, uh, no, because I'm trying to Or did Donovan that. come in? I don't even think – that was bef- – no, it was it was Tibbs. It was oh, that was, that, was, that was Tibbs, Tibbs, yeah. But I was thinking, did, did Hoiberg get him for a year or did he go to Hoiberg Philly? Ever, I don't think Hoiberg ever had him because, you know, he went from, from Chicago, he went to Minnesota to reunite with right. Tibbs. And that's when he took the third team of Minnesota and beat the starters and yeah. told them some very in some very colorful language that he was the best player on the team. Then he went to Philly to go play with Embiid and Simmons. And, you know, they get, you know, just unlucky if they had to face Kawhi. Yeah. But now, you know, he's in Miami. And, and so I that was the, yeah, that was this, I, you know, sorry to, inter- sorry to interrupt, Rob. I, it just, it dawned my memory. I forgot that that was the year that Kawhi hits the shot. Yeah. Well, and everybody so, forgets Jimmy Butler almost carries them to a victory in that game seven. Like he plays yeah. ridiculous down the stretch. What um, made him, what made him, what got him to Miami like I didn't was he on a year contract at those yeah places? It, I think it was okay. a year, yeah it was a year contract and I don't think him and Britt you know Britt Brown was the coach for Philly at the time yeah, I don't that's think right. that's him right. and Britt Brown got along very well so that was probably the reason as well someone I, I will say though I liked Brett I thought he did a great job in Philly though Brett Brown I really did um yeah no I, I think Britt Brown, I, didn't, I didn't know about his I didn't know about his relationship with Jimmy Butler but um I thought he did a great job there, yeah. you know, to be honest. And well, one, I mean, more thing, one more thing I'm going to say, too, about Jimmy, and then I'll let you kind of finish. You know what You know what he was this year in 2023? All-NBA second team. I think, yeah. I, I, think that, I think that's a motivating factor. I mean, he's never been an NBA first-team player. And if you're looking at what he's doing right now, that's just crazy for me to think about. You know, it's funny how the media and even ourselves, we all kind of hype up the same guys every year. And Jimmy Butler still seems to be kind of under that discussion, you know. So. Well, uh, it's because he's never it's because he's never really just been this, you know, he's just so different. Like, yeah, he listens to country music. He doesn't really has like he doesn't have the Under Armour Nike deal. You know, he's. He's, I think he shoe deals with Dwayne Wade's company or the Way of Wade or what I think it's like lining or leaning or something like that. But I mean, he's just not this. I mean, he he doesn't dress like Russell Westbrook or anything like that. Like, so he doesn't do anything off the court that just flashes. And obviously, he's not, you know, some freak athlete. Although he's a good athlete, he's just not some freak athlete like an Embiid or a Giannis. Right. But you get him on the court, and he's just a killer. Yeah, it's. In, I mean, it's just a. It's a very interesting story, and uh, you know, I love watching him play. And I know I picked the uh, the Celtics, you know, to win the series. I'm still not going to count them out, but it's looking like the Heat 
the Heat might they might go four in a row. I mean, they got two games in Miami to close it. You know, it's just well, it's, it's unreal to just think that they could potentially sweep them. Well, you know Boston's going to get one of those games. I mean, Boston's been close in both games. So, you know, you got to believe Boston's going to at least make this interesting. But, you know, I, I right now, I mean, all of the momentum is squarely on the Miami Heat side and the side of Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, we'll talk about – holy crap, Cam Smith almost just – I saw that. I saw that. They're really going to repair the hole and, of course, major championship luck, it bounces out. Of, it comes out of the hole and goes off the green. They're going to have to fix the, uh, the cup, too, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so moving on now, we're going to talk a little bit. I want to get to the conference finals, talk about kind of what we're seeing out of, of the other series, Denver and L.A., I mean, is Denver the finals favorite in your eyes right now? I think so. I mean, I think they have the best one-two punch in the league right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I was keeping up with them even during the regular season. I think the, the the fourth quarter that Murray had on Thursday night was just this world. Uh, I think he had 22 in the fourth. Um, obviously, Jokic – did you know that Jokic did not score a point in that fourth quarter the other night? Yeah, and he still had a triple-double. Still had a triple-double. So, But um, I think what I like about the Nuggets is that as good as, as, good as uh, Jokic is and as good as um, Jamal Murray are, Jamal, Jamal Murray is, they – you kind of expect them. They're going to get their. They're going to get their stats, but I think that um, the the Nuggets are in a situation where they really just kind of need one other guy to step up uh, when it comes to you know scoring the ball, and then they just kind of need everybody else to just you know fulfill their roles defensively. Um, so that being said, I, I I just I think they I like their team. I really do. Um, look, I. I saw Michael Porter Jr. in college, and um, I knew how good he was, but I just hated to see his injuries affecting his play. And the more I see him now, I'm just glad to see that he's back healthy and playing like the Michael Porter that we saw in high school. Um, but they they just had you know talk about role players. Even with the uh, we're talking about them with the Miami Heat. I just think that the the you know the Miami Heat right now, and the, the Denver Nuggets. They have the right guys to play along their superstars. Well, and the thing with the Nuggets right now is they don't need their guys. They don't, their starters are playing such ridiculous minutes. I mean, Thursday night, Jokic, 42 minutes. Murray, 43 minutes. Gordon, 39 minutes. You know, Bruce Brown off the bench plays 37 minutes. Yeah, he's, they're getting he's, these massive he's, minutes from people. Bruce Brown's pretty much, yeah. Bruce Brown's pretty much playing starter minutes for them. Well, but that's a guy you talk about. A guy that they keep finding these guys, one or two guys, step up outside of Jokic and Murray. I mean, it's Michael Porter Jr. sixteen points, Bruce Brown twelve. You know, they're getting they're getting just enough from those guys who. You know, because you know what Murray and Jokic are going to do. And I think that is where the Lakers right now – and I I talked about this before the series started. 
I think this is where the Lakers are going to struggle because, you know, you go back Thursday night again, you know, okay, Reeves has 22. That's great. Hachimura, 21. Man, that's awesome. But LeBron, 22. And you're thinking, well, 22, 10, and 9 is good. Until you dig deeper into those stats. He's 0 of 6 from 3. You can't be 0 of 6 from 3. Anthony Davis, 18 points. He can't have 18 and you win. He's a minus 10. LeBron's a minus four. D'Angelo Russell's a minus 16. See, that's that's the name that I'm looking at right now, Rob. Think about think about how well he played against the Grizzlies, D'Lo. Think about the things he did against the Warriors. He is not having the series that they needed to have to be able to win and compete against the Nuggets right now. Well, and, you know, you go to, you know, the Lakers, Dennis Schroeder, 30 minutes. Two of nine, oh of three from three. He has four points. Yes. Like, you know, that's you can't have that. Jared Their guard play has to be better. Well, Jared Vanderbilt's supposed to be your defensive stopper. Seventeen minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, it's those types of things that the Lakers cannot have. Now, could they win tonight in LA? I I, I expect they probably will win tonight. But if they don't. It's curtains on that series. It's over. It's it's not. It will be a clean sweep if the Lakers lose tonight. So you think tonight is you know tonight's the game? If the Lakers don't win tonight, they're not getting a game. It's the series. Yeah, it's going to be interesting just to you know just to see what happens. They're actually undefeated at home. I thought that was an interesting stat that uh, during the playoffs the Lakers are undefeated at home. So. They've been, they, you know, they've been playing. They've been tough to beat inside Crypto Arena. Um, but I think one thing that's, I think one thing that's interesting about, you know, the conference finals is you're not getting the long breaks that you get during the first rounds. Correct. You know, you're, you're getting, you're getting, you know, you're playing every other day. So, um, I think that's something that it's, you know, and you've played a lot of basketball. You've almost played a, you know, a quarter of a season. After the season, you know, if you think about you play 82 games, 20 games you're, is a quarter of the season. The Lakers have already played, what, uh, 14? So it's, Let's say Lakers know, have played, what, six the first series, six? Yeah, so they played 14. So I'm just saying, like, that's a lot of basketball, you know, after you've played 82 games. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I just think right now the Nuggets – the Nuggets are probably playing as good as anyone in basketball right now, which is funny to think about. They're the number one seed. They had, you know, 50-something wins on the year. And nobody nobody has been talking about them the entire, the entire playoffs. And you could tell it started to get to Malone the other night in the press conference. I, I loved what he said. You know, it was, you know, Jokic is doing this historic stuff. Murray's doing his thing. All anybody wants to talk about is LeBron. I and love you it. Starting to eat at him a little bit, and it eat me. It it would eat at me as a coach as well. But I think that I think that's just you know more fuel to their fire. You know, like that just makes them want it even more. But I loved what he said, and uh, I love how you know. I will say one thing about Mike Malone: you never hear like he gets along with his players. I think it, whatever he does behind the scenes, like his players really respect him, and. Uh, I loved what he said about even Jamal Murray, kind of how he'd been with him through the thick and the thin. And uh, 
you know, just to see him back healthy and see him back performing the way he is, it's, uh, you know, it's a testament to maybe the, the leader that Malone is to uh, just encourage him through that process and put him in position to be successful this season. Yeah, and you bring up, bring up Mike Malone for a reason here. I, you know, I, I think he's probably one of the – I think he's the top – one of the top two most underappreciated coaches in, in the NBA. I think number one is Eric Spolstra. Yeah. What do you think it is about these guys that, that they are underappreciated, that nobody talks about them? Because and, – and, look, don't get me wrong. The job Darvin Ham has been able to do with that Lakers team is, is very, very impressive. It is. There's no yeah. denying it's a very impressive thing he's done. The job that Joe Mazzulla has done with that Celtics team, very, very impressive. Yeah. But it's like the two teams nobody wants to talk about are the Heat – and the Nuggets, it's like nobody wants to give these two teams a chance. Like, I mean, for example, the other night, Miami wins game one in Boston. It's like their percentage went up from 3% to 13%. I'm like, they just stole game one and took home court advantage. How can you right. not say they don't have a little bit better of a chance than 13%? See, I think with Mike Malone, because you got to look at them, um, you know, the markets are totally different. Um Look, Denver, Denver, obviously, big city. They have, you know, of the of the big three sports, they have a team for all three of those. But I don't think, you know, Denver, they, you know, they're kind of a West Coast, not a West Coast team. Obviously, they're not on the West Coast. I am a geography teacher, Roth. <laughs> so I know that Colorado is not on the West Coast. But I'm saying they play later than most teams on an average night. Um, I just think they're forgotten about. I really do. I think even though they have the MVP the past two seasons, um, obviously Embiid getting it this year, I still think that Jokic somehow is not talked about enough as, you know, even though he's putting up the numbers he is, I think Jamal Murray coming off, I think when he wasn't playing, obviously his injury, he's kind of slid under the radar. And you know, I just don't think they have that pretty, you know, superstar type player that, you know, gets them the attention. And I think that's why Mike Malone kind of slides under the radar. But and then it, that's that's they what I'm saying. They, but the way the way that he scores and the way that he plays the game is the not is the quote as I'm putting my quotes up right now. I know our listeners can't see. It's not that it's not a pretty or flashy way to play. And I think our media looking at Instagram and looking at sports center, top 10 highlights, like that's all people are focused on is, is it, you know, they, sometimes they don't care about the winning and losing. They just care about the flashy plays. So I just think that the, the nuggets, they don't win flashy. They win playing basketball the way it should be played. They do the little things well. They play as a team. They execute. They get the job done. It doesn't matter what it looks like. If I catch the ball and shoot it and make a three-pointer, they that's not flashy to the, to anybody, Rob, these days. Yeah, and I think there's probably something something else you said there about it. You know, them being up in the you know the west out out west, and you know they play late. Most of your NBA media is on the East Coast. They don't want to stay up till 10 o'clock every night or 11 o'clock to even watch the tip. And trust me, when the Grizzlies play out west, it is rough. 
Right. I mean, it, it really is rough. And so I get it, but you know, that's why I think the playoffs are so great because it shows people, hey, you know, there's some good teams out west. I mean, it, it's fun to get to see Denver play and it's not eleven thirty at night. You know, they're playing at seven thirty. Like that's a time everybody gets to watch Jokic just yeah. absolutely dominate people. But back to Mike Malone, I just you almost feel like, is this going to be a thing in two years where he's going to be like Nick Nurse or Budenholzer or whoever it may be, and they're going to fire him? Yep. And um, Now, I do think Denver has a little bit better organizational structure than some of those teams who were doing that stuff. Yeah. I still don't know why the Bucks fired Budenholzer. That made absolutely no sense. But it, it just – you know, I, I don't really – understand that one but the one that really shocks me is is Spolstra yeah that's my he's in Miami like and nobody talks about Eric Spolstra like and and he's he's in his 15th year as a head coach and it's just like well finally time we may say hey this guy can actually coach he wasn't LeBron's babysitter for four years that's what that's what that's you just nailed the head you just nailed it right there I think the media and I think just People watching the Miami Heat during that, you know, beginning in 2010. And when Spolstra get the job? Well, I mean, took the sum the summer of 09. When oh, or, so okay. no, he got the he got it the year before because he got it the year before. Look, yeah. So I think he was taking a back seat to LeBron for all those years, Dwayne Wade, all those years. You know, they, they didn't get him the credit. They said that, you know, it, it was always anybody could coach those guys. Anybody could coach those guys. And then they lost. The first, the first, when they had the big three, they lose to Dallas. And, you know, they put the blame on? Spolstra. Spolstra. So, I think, you know, they, 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 they he's a bad coach because he can't win with these three superstars. And I think we've seen in the NBA – that just because you have the best three players on a team doesn't mean that's going to – the better team wins, not the best three players, the better team. And I think that – I think now that we've seen Miami's talent level in the past couple of years maybe go down, when I say talent, I mean just like the big-name talents. Top-end talent. Top-end talent, yeah, top, uh, you know, top-tier, tier-one talent. And I think now that people have actually had had to watch and see what Spolstra has still done, uh, I think now they should be talking about him more, but still they aren't. Well, and do you think, you know, you go back to those first few years, do you think some of those failures he had during that time have now prepared him for these successes that we're seeing these last few years of learning how to peak a team in the playoffs, learning, you know, hey, this guy's hot, or hey, this matchup's good for us. Do you think, you know, being 15 oh, years now in and oh, absolutely. learning how much he has, do you think that's kind of helped him out to know stuff now that's oh, helped him get this Heat team to be two wins away from the NBA Finals? Absolutely. Like, I guess I'll, you know, go on this from the, the mind of a coach because I haven't been doing it as long as he has, but I have been doing it nine years. The first years, I guarantee, when he had LeBron in them, he he probably wasn't trusting himself as much as he's trusting himself now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think 
it's I don't know what it is, but just over the over the years as a coach, the more you put yourself in those situations, you know, it's 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 hard. I always ask myself, like, how do you really get better as a coach? But I think you get better as a coach through experience and you learn to trust yourself and you learn to trust your knowledge. And uh, you learn to I think and then I think that that the players begin to see that trust and they can you know, begin to believe in what you're telling them. And I think that's what you have with Miami right now. I think, you know, I think Eric Stra trusts himself. So therefore the players trust him. Therefore the players trust each other. And I think that's, you know, gotten them to where they are today, being up 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's just amazing. I, I just, it's, crazy to me really that we just there's not enough talk about Eric Spolstra and again they'll get to the finals and everybody else and it'll be the narrative you know the narrative you and I have now been talking about for you know two weeks but oh he's so underappreciated like the genius of Eric Spolstra is like yeah well okay what were you talking about that when they were doing all of this two weeks ago like yep. and and I think the Heat right now are there. They're this is this would be a great you know representation of their team. It's like Jimmy Butler and the other guys. That'd be the name of their bands because that's really what they are. Just a bunch of other guys with Jimmy Butler. And I outside think Bam of, outside of Bam. Yeah, but you know I think he's underappreciated too. And this is totally random, Rob. But I remembered who the Denver Nuggets' other big is. Who is it? Yeah. DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> I told you he never play, he never plays. He, yeah, I don't know what it is. But like he's their other big, but never gets in. I know that's totally random. Oh, I just remember plays forty two minutes a game. But anyways, we, again, we always say this with the NBA. We could probably talk about it for three hours. So we'll move on now to the PGA Championship as I watch them squeegee water out of the fairway. Uh, that, is, sorry, let's just let's just. Let's just let's just take a moment to understand the transition that we just made there, Rob. <laughs> We're making a transition to LeBron James type athletes to, to Cameron, Cameron Smith. Smith. Cameron Smith type athletes. I love it. We're Look, going from, Cameron Smith from is a peak athlete. <laughs> as he just literally shanks it off the golf course. But regardless, um you know, we're, we're 336 and a lot of players now on the course. You know, there's a couple things we've seen. I think number one is, you know, these live guys are not going away. You know, Brooks Kapka is now healthy. Bryson DeChambeau looks a little bit healthy. Like, these guys didn't magically lose the ability to play golf. They were just injured. Yep. Um, you know, it – and I, you got to think it's the PGA's worst nightmare that these guys are, you know, playing in the last few groups. But I really think it's going to get to a point where there's going to have to be some compromise. Because, look, as much as I love watching Brooks and Bryson, I'm not tuning into the CW network to watch them play, you know, in Tulsa, Oklahoma on a Saturday. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a rant. That's just a where they play in that tournament. I can't even. It was last week, and I couldn't even. They played at them. Southern Hills. Uh, gosh, no. They played at some like like the sixth or seventh best course in Tulsa. Like, I mean, I just they they get they've got to figure something out here because 
these guys are too good to be playing. To only see them four times a year. To only see them four times a year. I mean, at least let us see them eight times a year or ten. Like, you know, put some events together or something. Like, I, I just – we need to be able to see these guys more. But, you know, you're back to – the tournament itself, uh, Scotty Scheffler starting to play, uh, looking like, well, Scotty Scheffler again. He's tied for the lead. Um, I think there's – let me see. I'm pulling up the leaderboard now. Corey Connors, Victor Hovland also back. I mean, Victor Hovland now I think has been in – he's either had a share or the outright 36-hole lead in two of the last three majors. Yeah, I mean, he's been playing well. This kid's playing good. I think the story of the tournament right now, though, is the PGA professional, Michael Block, who is a T10 right now. He will be playing with Justin Rose today, so that's going to be a bit of a pairing. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's stories like that. You know, I think everybody's obviously going to make the connection today if he has a good round to Roy McAvoy, 10 Cup, you know, the, the West Texas golf pro out there. But, you know, this guy's a good golfer, but it's still just an awesome story, and, and he's a guy I'll definitely be rooting for today. Yeah, I think that's what makes golf – that's why I appreciate the game so much, just that you can have a guy, you know, that's a PGA – just a normal PGA pro that probably doesn't get to play as much as he would like to because he's giving back and, uh, you know, helping the youth learn the game and love the game. But I think the ability for someone like that to come out and compete makes the game special, you know? Well, and, you know, now we've had now two straight majors with these great stories. Obviously, at Augusta, we have the amateur Sam Bennett in the final group on Saturday. Right. And then we have Michael Block here, um, you know, playing in, I think, the fifth or sixth final group – or fifth or sixth from the final group today. So, it's just been really – I think golf has just really had some cool stories this year in the majors. Yeah, do you think – so was uh, Justin Thomas – he was six shots back, right, and came back and won last year? I think so, yeah. Or was he seven? So. Or was he seven? He was six or seven. He was yeah. far back. Do you think – so I'm looking at some names that are seven back right now. Uh, Justin Johnson, six back. Adam Scott, seven back. Um, Hideki Matsuyama's eight back. Max Homa's eight back. Tommy Fleetwood, eight back. Patrick Reed, eight, eight back. Do you think – Cameron Smith has some time to, you know, get get under par for the tournament. Do you think any of these guys Smith have a chance? Cameron Smith just hit his ball out of upstate New York, so he's going to have to go find it in, like, Massachusetts somewhere. So it's in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> but, you know, I look at a guy – Max Homa can't find the fairway right now. Like, he literally has been posting on Instagram, like, the last two days, walking to, through the fairway just to see what it feels like. <laughs> I mean, he's been all over the golf course. You know, I, I would look at it. You know, Adam Scott played really good the first round until they had the delay, until play was suspended, and then she 74 yesterday. But, you know, that's a guy. He is He's a hardened major champion. Yeah. You know, Colin Morikawa is six back and a former PGA champ. So, yeah. Dustin's a guy I definitely look at, though. I mean, he's Rory. Dustin, Rory, Rory saved himself yesterday. He was like three over at one point, ends up even. Rory's got a chance to win this thing. You know, I, I really think, though, right now, if the weather stays the way it is right now, and I haven't looked at the weather forecast for Oak Hill today, but, I mean, I would think anybody 10 shots back. I mean, I think you could even add a guy like John Rahm in there who's five over. 
I mean, he could get there. JT or Speed, they're six. If the weather stays like this and somebody can go come into the clubhouse at two over par, they'll be in contention tomorrow. Because if the conditions stay like this, I don't see a way anybody goes under par today. Yeah. And I don't think, interesting. I don't think anybody right now is under par. I think everybody – oh, my bad. Thomas Peters, of course. The, the Europeans will play great today because, I mean, this is like just regular weather for them. Anybody? Yeah, Thomas Thomas Peters is four under par through six holes. Oh, I see him. Yeah, he's the only one under par. Well, yeah. there's a couple more. Um, Adam Small, Alex Smalley's one under. And, uh, oh, well, that's actually it. No, there's two people under par right now on the golf course. So, yeah, it's a uh, – it's playing quite tough but I, I really think anybody within seven or eight shots right now I mean you probably could even say 10 or 11 if the weather stays like it is have a yeah. chance to win this golf tournament if they can post if they can post a low round this morning so obviously I had Xander winning Xander sits right now at um Xander's sitting right now at T49. He's plus five, so he's 10 shots back, plus one for the day through four. He's got some time maybe to get in the red. But uh, right now, Rob, your pick was? Brooks. Brooks. So you're looking pretty potentially if if Brooks can um, Brooks can keep training in the right direction. So we'll move off the PGA here. Um. I'll just get your pick. If you could pick a guy from that kind of plus one or plus two back who's going to make a run and be there on Sunday, who would you say it's going to be right now? You say plus one, plus two? Yeah, somewhere in that. Well, plus one or plus two and back, like anywhere, anywhere, you know, above that, I guess, or below. I got to go. I got to go Dustin Johnson. Okay. Or Mito. Or Mito. Because he has, he has some experience. Um, I'm for him. I want him to be honest. I want him to go win a PGA one day. Yeah, after um, last year. Yeah, and he seems like a just a, a good guy, uh, down to earth guy. But I would have to say, I'd have to say in that plus one range, you know, I, I'm going to go with the big name. I'm going to go Dustin Johnson. All right, I'll actually go with a guy at plus three. I'm going to go Tommy Fleetwood. I think if the conditions stay the way they are today a European is going to be able to do something in these conditions. And a guy who knows how to play in these just really bad conditions is going to thrive. And I think a guy like Tommy Fleetwood can go out there and post a, you know, a three, four under and be in this thing. Right. Really someone that can drive the ball straight and maybe has a little more distance just to carry the ball. Cause yeah. today is definitely, today's, today's a carry day for sure. Even at the, you know, but I think, I think it could give some guys, you know, when they're within that, you know, 175 range to really fire at some flag sticks potentially. Um, I don't know the course as well as I need to. You know, it's tough. It's tough when you you, you watch, you know, the PGA. Obviously, obviously, they go the same, all the same, but you just don't really have time to get familiar with the courses like you do with like a British Open or a U.S. Open or even obviously the Masters that they play at every year. Yeah. Um, these conditions just look awful. 
Uh, Phil Mickelson just looks miserable right now. He's putting for par. He looks stoked, and he's also wearing sunglasses, and it's literally raining. But you do you, Phil. He's now well, nine over. He's now nine over. He's using the long putter, too. I forgot he was using that in, in Augusta. Yeah, he looks absolutely yeah. that was no fun at all. Was was Jason Duffner in the field this week? Uh, I mean, he's he has lifetime exemption to the tournament. I don't know if he was in the field, but I know he has lifetime exemption to the tournament. Because he was the last one to win at Oak Hill, wasn't he? Was that Oak Hill he won at? I thought I thought it was. It may. I'm not sure. I'm you talk about a guy who's really falling off like the map completely. It's Jason Duffner. But um, – And I hate Jason Day. Jason Day just didn't have it this week. No, and that's a guy everybody said, you know, oh, he's coming into form, and, you know, he missed the cut. So, Matt Fitzpatrick, 670. So, I'm, I'm – all these guys just didn't have it this week. But that's golf, you know. You know, it's – conditions are tough. Um, yeah, Duffner, Duffner did not play. Uh, he is not playing at the PGA. Yeah. Right. He did win at uh, Oak Hill. He did win at Oak Hill. Yes, right. 2013, right? Yep. But moving on now, we are now going to go into – Sorry, sorry. real quick. Who are you picking? You still going with uh, Brooks? Oh, yeah. I'm still rolling. Okay, okay still Brooks. rolling the Brooks. All right. Yeah. And I guess I'm going to have to finish out with Xander. Come on, Xander. Get hot, baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on now, we'll do our uh, top 25 preview of the week, and today it is the Fighting Tigers of LSU. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. Go, Tigers! You ever When you go to Baton Rouge and you hear that for a whole game, Rob, you just want to uh, leave. It's, it's awful. It's, it, <laughs> I mean, and then you see them every third – and, of course, people can't see me on video, but every third down they're doing this, and, it, yeah, it's just <laughs> – I promise, folks, if you've been to Baton Rouge, like, you know you, exactly what we're talking about. Like, it is just a place. I mean, it – now, I, I think it's one of the best atmospheres in college football, but it's a it's a tough place to play for visitors, to say the least. I've heard, I've heard some stories of uh, some, uh, like, football managers and, like, ball boys that would literally go the long way around the field – to avoid the student section. <laughs> well, was it uh, was it Eli's g- sophomore or junior year at Ole Miss when they we were had to go there? We had to go, th- we had to go there back to back. So I'll have a funny story. We had to go there back to back years, Rob. We had to go there in 2001, 2002. We beat them in 2001. We put it on them pretty good by, I think it was 43. 42-28. I need to go back and look up. But uh, Eli had a heck of, heck of a game. I remember he threw like three touchdowns. But in 2002, Rob, we were up um, 13 to nothing. All right? 13 to nothing. We're driving the ball, and we have a running back by the name of Tremaine Turner. We're running a screenplay. Tremaine Turner forgets his screenplay. The ball is thrown to him, hits him in the back of the helmet, and the ball pops up, and LSU intercepts the ball. Little do they, little, little do you know that they go down and score 
Then in the fourth quarter, they throw the ball to a guy that me and you both know by the name of Michael Clayton. Oh, yeah. And they score to go up 14 to 13. Ole Miss gets the ball and goes four and out to lose the game. And then the next year, you have the famous the, you know, that was the uh, that was the game the, where Eli tripped over his center. Yeah, tripped over the center. We missed a couple field goals, and we actually scored on the first play of the game. Uh, Matt Malk was that? Is that Matt Malk? Yeah, Matt Malk. Yeah, Matt Malk threw, threw an interception to start the game, and Ole Miss scored to go up seven nothing. And then from there, they only got um, we only got one more touchdown because we lost seventeen fourteen. Not to be confused with former Missouri quarterback Matty Mock. That's right, Matty Mock. That's right. But but uh, but obviously, you know. Have you been to Baton Rouge? I've been there three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've been there. Yeah, and you've had some success there for sure. When yeah, Dak Prescott we, was playing. Yeah, that was a funny. That was a funny story that night. We uh, we're leaving the stadium, and you know we just win big win for Mississippi State and. Me and one of my buddies are walking out, and we had gotten separated from our group who was on up ahead. And we saw these two guys fighting each other. They're LSU fans, and we're like, we need to get out of here before they realize they're fighting other LSU fans, and they come at us. <laughs> my record in Baton Rouge, Rob, is two and one. Yeah, so two and one. I'm one and two in the stadium, but I'm one and oh when I'm just in the town. Because I was in the town in 2020 when we beat him, when Mike Leach's first game with KJ Costello. Oh, yeah. That's the SEC passing record that won't ever even be touched by anybody. He threw for 600 yards. He threw for 629 yards or something. It's just something so unbelievable. And then we lose to Arkansas the next week, and he throws like three interceptions. And his, his game just went downhill after that. But great moment. But looking at LSU's schedule, I, I mean, I think the game – I think their game of the year outside of uh, the obvious one in Bryant-Denny is the first game. It's against Florida State, a Florida State team right now that has – On the road too, right? Of, well, it's in – it's neutral, air quotes. It's in Orlando. Uh, Orlando, yeah, Camping World. So Yeah. So – Hey, I like it. I like that they're going to play a big-time team though. Yeah, um, obviously that game last year, very, very hotly contested with LSU missing a field goal as, after time as it had expired. To extra point. Send, extra point, yeah, to yeah. not send the game to overtime. Um, I think that's going to be the uh, – uh, I think that's the biggest game on LSU's schedule outside of their return trip to Bryant-Denny. But I mean, that that's the pace setter for them. Because you look at their schedule, I mean, their next game is Grambling. That's a W. Then they come to Starkville, which, as much as I love my Mississippi State Bulldogs, I'm not picking them against LSU ever. Then they have they go they play Arkansas. I wouldn't count them out though. Y'all always play them tough at home. We do, we do, but I, I I'm still not betting on. I wouldn't bet on us if I was, you know, even as a diehard fan. But then they go to then they play Arkansas at home. Go to Ole Miss, to Missouri. I mean. You beat Florida State, you conceivably could start, what, 7-0? and Also, did not realize LSU was playing Army this year. I, that's it. I saw that's an interesting game. That's actually kind of a cool game, though. 
That's that's very interesting. Playing Army, and then they have they uh, bye week, and then they'll go to Bryant Denny. Um, you know, I mean, if I'm running through the schedule, I, I say they're going to beat Florida State. I, I think LSU right now. I mean, you look at last year, Mason Smith, who was supposed to be one of their best players, plays 11 snaps and then tears his knee up. Yeah. So. You know, you get him back. You add to that, you've got this stud in Harold Perkins and then, you know, just LSU's usual people. But a lot of people seem to be really, really concerned about the LSU secondary, which is funny because, I mean, that is BBU and not a great secondary. So um, that's going to be an interesting thing. But offensively, I think this could be one of their best teams on the offense outside of the obvious 2019 team. But, you know, Jaden Daniels coming back. Yeah, Malik Neighbors. Her Malik Neighbors, who I still have not forgiven for decommitting from to Miss, from Mississippi State on National Signing Day. Thanks, Malik. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just really, really – uh, the tight end that I cannot think of his name, um, Mason Taylor. Yeah, Mason Taylor, he, yeah. Jason Taylor's son. It's just a lot of weapons at the disposal of Jaden Daniels, and then Jaden Daniels himself is a weapon. So, you know, run through the schedule. I mean, I got LSU one and two and zero after Grambling, three and zero after Mississippi State, four and zero after Arkansas. I, you know, y'all always play them close. Yeah, and it's oh, in it's at home, it's, but it's, it's at Ole Miss. That's yeah, gonna I be could, a big game. I could see Lane pulling the upset there. Yeah, I. Was, I was not going to be a homer, but I was going to predict Ole Miss that win. Um, definitely with Quinson Judkins coming back. Um, I now, think he had a pretty – actually, he, he got shut down pretty good against LSU on the road last year. He got year. shut down pretty good against um, he got hurt. State, too. Yeah, he got hurt. Uh, I think that LSU game was the game he got hurt a little bit. But um, it was the game that Jaden Daniels, they figured out that they could run that, you know, read option. and pull their pull their tackle and their guard and just they killed Ole Miss on the ground game on that read option. But I think at home, I think Ole Miss gets the win at home. I really do. The only thing that would concern me for Ole Miss is you look at their schedule the week before they have to go to Bryant Denny. Yeah. That's that's they always have those games right there, you know. They always have that stretch of Auburn, LSU, Alabama. Now that they don't play LSU late in the year like they used to, they play them earlier. Um, they they kind of always has that always have that stretch with those you know the big three West teams in a row. Yeah, so I, I'm with you. I, I think Lane pulls the upset there. I think Ole Miss beats them, so I think they're four and one after five weeks. I think they win at Missouri. I think they beat Auburn to go to was that six and one. They'll beat Army to go to seven and one. And, and I'll be honest, in Bryant Denny. Alabama doesn't have a quarterback right now. Now, my opinion could change. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very, very you. concerned on Alabama's – after watching some of that – I agree. I'm very agree. concerned about Bama right now. I'm kind of watching – didn't Tyler Buckner play against Marshall, Rob, when they lost? Tyler – yeah, against Marshall? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He threw three picks, I think. Yeah, and that's the guy. Oh, I, think I, I need to look. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Alabama thinks that's going to be their starter. Like, I wouldn't exactly have the warm and fuzzies if I'm an Alabama fan. I'll be honest. Hold that game. I might have LSU right there. I'm pulling up that game real quick. Um, So, he left the game. Buckner left the game with a shoulder injury in that. Okay. Threw for 201. Um, I'm trying to find the uh, – I remember, though, Marshall got a pick that game. Yeah, they did, right? The end of the game. Yeah, maybe that was someone else that threw the pick six. But all I'm trying to say is you're going from the number one pick to – who as your quarterback, Tyler Buckner? I yeah. mean, so I mean, I mean Ty Simpson honest, potentially. I'm picking. I'm picking LSU. I know it's in Bryant Denny, but I, I'm I'm picking LSU. They have the more experienced quarterback. They have the more experienced roster on offense. I pick them. So then I'm still play. gonna. I'm still I'll go with uh, Alabama only because. Only because I think defensively, I think Alabama is going back to their old school, just better defense. And I All think right. at home, I think at home gives them the moment, the momentum. All right. So you got them seven and two after that game. I, I got, got them seven and two. I got them eight and one. I think they beat Florida at home. I think they beat Georgia State at home. I think they I beat think so too. At home. I think and I'm picking ten and two. That was my prediction coming in. I say eleven and one, and I think they're going to be in the SEC championship. And I think against Georgia, do you think this year they could give on your end? Do you think they give Georgia a better game this year than they did last year? I do. I, I think. I think people are. I mean, I, obviously Georgia's amazing. Not denying that, but look at the talent they've had for the last the the veteran talent they've had the last two years. I mean. Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Nicobe Dean, Nolan Smith. You know, you just yeah. keep rolling these names in that front seven. And, I mean, they've been so elite there. And I think now there's kind of a little bit of that unknown with Georgia. And, obviously, there's unknown at the quarterback position because you don't know who it's going to be. Yeah. So, I, yeah. They played I them pretty they, tough last year. Take away that second quarter. Take away that second quarter. Um they came back and battled, and obviously uh, Garrett New uh, Newsheimer, no, Garrett Nussmeyer, Justin Nussmeyer. No, he he actually kind of put on the show there for a while. Um, did Daniels get hurt that game? He did. He hurt his yeah, foot. Daniels, Daniels wasn't a hundred percent going into the game. That's right. That's right. He, I think they just decided, hey, we're not going to get this kid killed. Yeah, because I think hurt in the A and M game. Yeah. Which that was a – you know, LSU laid an egg in that game. I didn't – that just – Yeah, that was – well, you know, they'd almost laid an egg the week before at Arkansas in that game. At Arkansas, like yeah. Five degrees. But, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. LSU is just one of those teams right now. I think this has got to be their year, though. I don't. I think yeah. if it's next year, I don't think – I don't think they have near the same team because they don't have Jaden Daniels. So, I think if LSU is yeah. going to do it, it's going to be this year. If they're going to make the move yeah. – Try to contend for a national championship. I think this is the year. Yeah, but I will say Brian Kelly—he's really recruiting at a high level, and 
that's what you were going to expect he would do being at a big time SEC program and being at a big time SEC program that is the best, you know, the, you know, it doesn't have a lot of competition within states to get some of those in-state kids. Not saying you don't have to compete against the Texases and the A&M and Alabama, Georgia, Ole Miss, uh, Mississippi State, Arkansas for those Louisiana kids, but you have, well, Tulane now potentially because they had a heck of a year, but you're not going to – I think LSU beats out Tulane for a kid they won in, in Louisiana. I think one thing you hit the nail on the head there, I think LSU fans got fed up seeing their best – their state's best talent leaving the state. You know, you look at Devonta Smith is the is the best, uh, you know, the best example. He goes to Alabama. Yeah, he's a NOLA kid, NOLA kid, right? Yeah, I mean, he goes to Bama with a high trophy. Yeah. So, you know, and Brian Kelly, I think, has brought that pride back to Louisiana, to wanting to play for LSU. Because, look, there for a 20, 30-year period, if it was a player from L- if it was a player from Louisiana and they got an offer from LSU, they were going was, to LSU. Yeah. I think that changed. Now, Nick obviously muddied the water when he got to Alabama because he had so many good connections from his time at LSU. Yeah. But, you know, I think Brian Kelly's getting that back. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, look, it's fun when LSU's good. You know, yeah. their fans are loud and obnoxious, but there's nothing like them. You know, you, you just, they're big time. They got a big time atmosphere. They do, and it's it's fun when LSU is good at football. It really is. Yep. I think it makes college football better because you get to see these um, this one of the most amazing and best fan bases in college uh, football. Really, really rating as ratings wise, hasn't Louisiana had some of the best like some of the best like the best football like recruit ever? Uh, think about who do you think it? Obviously, Javion Clowney's up there from South Carolina. Yeah, if, do you, if I remember correctly, if I know Quinn Ewers is is him, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Robert Pendici, yeah. they were all that that one hundred recruit, and obviously yeah. Clowney. Arch Manning was tech, or from uh, Louisiana. Yeah, Arch Manning was up there too. Um, we'll talk about that on a on a future podcast. I, I yeah. have some. Awesome. What about the old running back? The old running back for LSU that that you know is the stud in eighth grade. Uh, which one is that? Plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now. Oh yeah, Fournette. Yeah, Leonard Fournette. Who just got shut down um, when they played I'm saying, Alabama. I'm just saying that's. Remember, he was supposed to be like the best high school player ever, wasn't he? At one time, weren't people saying that? I don't know if they were saying it about Fournette. You may have been thinking about Joe. You know, Joe McKnight was down there in the yeah, yeah, mid two thousands. Yeah. You know, and of course, I forgot about Ed, him. Yeah, Ed Ogeron, I think, was convinced he was getting him to come to Ole Miss. Yeah, but he ends up going to USC. Um, kind of he a Nola kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, he was a uh, he was a West Lafayette kid. He played at uh, John Curtis. John Curtis in River Ridge. Malachi Dupree. Remember how good he was supposed to be. Yeah. Well, you remember Terrace Marshall was another one that, that they thought he was going to be the truth. And yeah. he was a good player, but he was overshadowed because his two teammates were a three-star named Jamar Chase and a two-star named Justin Jefferson. Yeah. There's always a Jefferson on, on an LSU team in there. Yeah, and there's always some, some kid who's a star with an X in his name somewhere. That's right. That's right. They always – they got that 
They got uh, that they got Cajun edge. in them. But uh, I think LSU, they're going to be tough. They're going to they're have some guys. Um, but it'll be interesting. I think 10-2, and 11-1 is a potential reality for them for sure. I agree 100%. So, last I'm still picking Georgia. I'm still picking Georgia in the SEC this year. Oh, yeah, I am too because their schedule's a joke. But, but I commend I commend LSU. One more point on LSU. I commend them for playing, you know, Florida State to start the season. I respect that. Absolutely. absolutely. So last segment of the day, I wanted to say the night, but then I remembered it's 1045 in the morning. Um, <laughs> so last segment of the morning, I guess, is our top 10 list of the day. Day, not night. I didn't mess that up. I think everybody should be proud of that. Um, we're going to do the top 10 second round picks in NBA The big, the big quiz of the day, though, Rob, is who's number 11 for Connecticut? That's the big quiz for the day. I got this. Alex Caravan, folks. <laughs> Alex Caravan. I did not forget it. <laughs> it only took me two months, but I got it. Hey, you're two for two. And, folks, let me, let me tell you, that's not a bit. Like, literally, I asked Al for a month and a half straight, and who's that guy from Connecticut, the white guy? Alex Caravan. <laughs> but uh, so our top ten list today, top second round uh, NBA draft picks. As the we had the lottery on Tuesday night and the draft coming up, we'll start at number ten. Al, we got Paul Millsap. You know, Paul. I like it. Yeah, you know, he gets drafted by Utah, and. I mean, he was good in Utah, but really where he kind of found his his stride and I think made an all-star team, I think he was an all-star starter, actually, was in Atlanta with Mike Budenholzer. Um, you know, that was the Atlanta team where I think all five starters made the all-star team. That was uh, one of the Teagues. I think it was Jeff Teague. They had um, Paul Millsap. They had uh, – who else was on that team? It was a good team. I remember. That Jeff was Teague. Yeah, Jeff T. And there was uh, Kyle Corver. Do you say Corver? Corver was on that team? That's yeah. right. But uh, you know, I think he just had a solid career. And, you know, I think he's he's one of those guys you just kind of look at, man, how did he fall to the second round? Yeah. Louisiana kid, 47th pick, too. Um, I mean, he was late in the second round, but a four-time NBA all-star. Um just I remember him. He was he was very very good for that stretch, kind of the end the, the his end of the year stretch in Utah, and then obviously helped Atlanta get to the uh, conference finals. Right? No, that was the year they were the number one seed, but LeBron put uh, him out. LeBron put him out. That's right. That's right. Because Indiana, did they? Indiana got there that year, right? To the conference finals? No, I yeah. think that was the year before. Okay. I think I that was Cleveland-Chicago in that conference finals, maybe. Okay, okay. That makes sense because D-Rose was the film. I don't – but I may be wrong on that. But regardless, um, number nine on the list, we have Agent Zero, Gilbert Arenas, <laughs> out of the University of Arizona. Obviously, he had just a stretch with the Wizards where he was just absolutely uh, just beast. And did he play, did he play for Lute Olsen? 
Yeah, he played for he played for Luke. Man, think about some of the guards he had just in the past. Damon Stoudemire, Richard Jefferson, Gilbert Arenas. But uh, what was what was Gilbert's pick again in the second yeah. round? Yeah, well, he was the thirty-first overall pick. So he's the first okay. pick in the second first, round. Yeah, first pick. But still, but still, you know, just the career he had. He he didn't have a second round pit career by any means. No, three time NBA All Star, All NBA Second Team, two time All NBA Third Team, NBA Most Improved Player. Like I mean, that's a good player. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, had the uh, gun issue. That was a thing. <laughs> yeah, but he got just suspended really, that year. Really solid seven year stretch there in Washington. I actually forgot he played for Golden State at one point. Really? Yeah, completely forgot that. So he started his career with. Okay, I didn't know that. But I didn't number, know that's who drafted him. Yep, number eight on the list, Monta. Monta Ellis. The just absolute truth in high school. I mean, he was yeah, he was the best high school player I've ever seen play. That's right. Funny story about uh him. He played so – he played at Lanier High School in Jackson, and their big rival is Provine. So, Monta's senior year, they were – Provine was, like, heckling him and telling him he was crap, and I'm sure they said a few other things. Monta said, I'm going to drop 72 on your butt. He did not say butt, but I'm going to drop 72 on you, which he was wrong. He dropped 73. Um, so – I mean, it's just – he was – ha- And then he had the Greenwood high game where he had 73 and, a, and three quarters, right? Or yeah, I mean, Monta could have scored 100. I mean, there were just games where he could have scored 100. But, I mean, he was – I mean, that run he had in Golden State was just incredible. I mean, he he just filled the basket, which I did not realize. 17.8 points for his career. career yeah. 17.8. That's yeah. extremely good. Yeah. And uh, if, if, if it wasn't for, you know, they, the, the Golden State franchise made a choice. Was it, are they, are we going to, are we going to keep Monta? Or are we going to, let's be our next guy. And they ultimately chose Steph, you know? Yeah. And as I'm just saying, Monta was right there with Steph Curry. You yeah. Know, as much as I love Monta, I do. I think they made the right choice. <laughs> they chose correctly with choosing Steph Curry. That's right. But, you know, he was a heck of a player. Was he an all-star? Um, I don't know that he ever – no, he never made – he never made an all-NBA team, never made an all-star team. But still, I mean, scored 18 points a game. So, it wasn't like he was yeah. terrible in his career. On a good team that made the playoffs. And he was Mississippi Mr. Basketball in 2005. That's right. So, number seven on the list, oddly enough, Steve Kerr. The coach of the Golden State Warriors. But, you know, Steve probably has had a more successful run as a coach than as a uh, player. And, look, he was a great player. Won three NBA championships as a player, but he was the 50th overall pick, selected by the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Kind of floundered in the league and then really found his groove there in Chicago. Um, People also don't realize his last year in the league won a championship with the Spurs. Really? He was on that team, wasn't he? Yeah. But uh, Steve – about that. 
just, I mean, he was five-time NBA champion, NBA three-point contest champion, and just a really solid role player on those Bulls teams. I think hit the game winner in 90, I think it was 98 or 97 or 98, he hit the game winner in the NBA finals. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I mean, he's just, he, if we talked, we were talking earlier about role players. I think he knew his role and he played it perfectly. And you really, you go back, he was kind of one of those first in the modern way, at least those just elite three point snipers from long range in the NBA. Yeah, I will say the Bulls always – it's kind of interesting when uh, Phil became their head coach, they always had they always had that three-point guy, you know. They always had that three-point. It began with John Paxson, um, and then they just found Steve Kerr to replace him, you know. It was just another – it's just it was another fill-in for that three-point – that three-point shooting that they need in the triangle offense. Yeah, I mean, that they were just – I mean, that, they were just ridiculous, obviously, having Michael. But, I mean, just so many role players on those teams. But, yeah, Steve Kerr, I think, just a solid player. I mean, what he, his stats never wowed you. I mean, six points a game. But what he was able to do for those Bulls teams, you know, he was able to do exactly what they needed him to do and hit some absolutely massive shots. Yeah, knowing he can make shots calls that defender to stay attached to him. And what does that do, Rob? That opens up a back cut for a – uh, Michael or Scotty Pippen or gives them the ability to drive to the basket. So it for that team was, was big, was, you know, needed to be successful. Yeah. And so number six on the list, and, and this guy's not talked about ever outside of Cleveland, Ohio is Mark Price. Mark Price. I mean, he was the, he was 25th overall pick, but back then the NBA didn't have so many teams. Second round pick, selected by the Mavericks. And I think it was a draft. I think he was a draft night trade, traded to Cleveland. And yep. he was an absolute terror for teams. You know, you go back to those old Cleveland teams, it was Mark Price, Craig Elo, Larry Nance, Brad Doherty. I mean, they were yeah. good. Yeah. And I mean, you read off Price, Price's stats, you don't realize four-time NBA All-Star, All-NBA first team in 93, three-time All-NBA third team. He was a two-time NBA three-point champion. He was a 50-40-90 guy, which if you don't know what 50-40-90 is, it means he was 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 90% yeah. from uh, the free throw line, which, I mean, there's only been a handful of people that have done that in the modern era. I know Steph Curry's one of them. but right. I mean, this guy was was a heck of a player. All-time leader. He's got a ton of all-time leaders at Georgia Tech. All-time leader, three-point field goal percentage. All-time leader in steals. All-time leader, consecutive games started. That's pretty crazy. But uh, not big, 5'11", listed at 5'11". So, I didn't realize he was, you know, under six feet. But, man, he was just – he was so cool. He was so cool. And so it's, you know, it's one of those guys you're not really talked about because, unfortunately for him, he was in the East when Michael was in the East. Yeah. Just a – and and honestly, he really had a short career. I mean, he played from 90 – from 86 to 90 – well, I say short career. He played 86 to 98, but really, 
I think most people only remember he played 86 to 95 in Cleveland. Yeah. Around. So, yeah. But, you know, I mean, he's a good player. He's 15 points a game for his career, almost seven assists. So, hey, that's what you got to do. I mean, that's, that's – he, he's just one of those – I think he's an underappreciated guy because of the air he was in and the guy that he was against, which was Michael. Back – I think back three-point champs, like you said, that's pretty – not a lot of people have done that, you know? Yep. And now, number five. He probably calls the demise of the Chicago Bulls. Pony Kukoc, or Kukoc, <laughs> if you're David Stern at the draft, because they didn't know <laughs> his name. Um, you know, Tony comes from uh, Yugoslavia, Croatia – and Jerry Krause was just completely and utterly enamored with him, which, again, we, we've talked about Krause. Yep. He could recognize talent. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable just the way he could piece the guys together. And he had a big vi- – he, he always saw the future for him, you know, kind of where they could fit in. Well, I mean, he found Scotty. He finds Kukoc. He finds B.J. Armstrong. He You know, he, he finds all these guys. and. I mean, Kukoc is another example. Tony was – he was, you know, really and truly was the first big international name that came over to play in America. From, uh, from Absolutely. The you know, yep. you can probably say he paved the way for guys like Dirk, for guys like Luca, for guys like – Yeah, you know, I was going to say he was Luca before Luca. He was – he's Luca uh, 1.0. Because oh. <laughs> that's just kind of he kind of had that flair for the game, but uh, he had a tough. He had a tough. I'm just thinking about it. He, I think he was treated a little unfairly just at the beginning of his career because you know he has the famous Olymp. Was it the Olympic Games where the USA team just went out? Yeah, it was the, it was think, the first. I, it was the first game against uh, Croatia. What you know, yeah. the second game. People forget in that second game, he actually did really, really good. Yeah, was the that ninety two? Was that ninety two Dream Team? That was the, yeah, the ninety two Dream Team. But everybody yeah. forgets that you know that game because all anybody wants to talk about is Michael and and Scotty just absolutely killing yeah. in that first yeah. game. Yeah, so he had a target on his back for sure, and I think. Didn't they kind of even say he passed because they kind of took he, – he was able to handle, you know, their their beating, so to speak, uh, defensively? Yeah, I, I think that kind of taught him, hey, I've got to – you know, I've really got to step up here. Like, I can't screw around. Like, I've right. got to learn how to play in this league. Yeah. But, uh, obviously, he called, you know, animosity when uh, Phil Jackson drew up the play against the Knicks. The yeah, year that uh, the year that the year that uh, uh, Michael was playing baseball for the uh, Birmingham Barons. Barons. So, and and Scotty said, "I'm out. I'm not going back in." Or yeah, Scotty said, "I'm out. I'm not going back in." And uh, Bill says, "Ethel, Tony, we're running the play for you." Yeah, and, and you know that was that. And by the way, Tony made the shot. So, yeah. but you know that that was Phil. That that was Phil and. You know, he knew how to use Tony. I don't, I don't know that Phil would ever probably come out and say it publicly because of his relationship with Michael and Scotty. But, you know, I think Phil enjoyed having Tony. I think oh, Phil yeah. enjoyed having Tony as a player because Tony 
in that his ball handling in that triangle, he was almost another Scotty on the floor. Yeah, he really was. They could they could alternate bringing the ball to court. You know, if if if, if Scotty's got the ball, Tony kind of plays that really that that three spot. And then if uh, Scotty had or if uh, Tony had the ball, Scotty kind of played that three spot. So um, kind of that corner position in the uh, in the triangle. But also they posted them a lot. If you go back and really watch some film on the Bulls, they posted Scotty a lot and posted Kukoc a lot. So they were very interchangeable parts for sure. Absolutely. And so moving on to the list, number four, Draymond, which, I mean, say what you want about him, but the guy, yeah. I mean, he has been really the catalyst for those early. I mean, he was the guy they put on the big guy. He was their defensive ace for so many years there in uh, Golden State. Obviously, now he's struggling a little bit, but I just think such such a uh, such a great player for that team. And so it looks like we've actually lost Al, unfortunately. But, oh, well, we'll continue with the list. Number three on the list is Dennis Rodman, the worm. You know, you say what you want about Dennis off the court, and obviously he, you know, he did a lot of that to himself. But on the court, I think Dennis Rodman, you know, maybe the best defensive player of all time. You know, you go back to his time with the Pistons, and he was learning from Bill Lambeer and learning from John Sally and learning from all these guys. And, you know, he kind of took that with him on on his journey through the NBA you know, through the rest of his career, obviously was just a defensive ace for the Bulls as well. But, you know, Dennis, Dennis is, I mean, really and truly he's probably the best, probably the best defender of all time. But that's number three on the list. Number two, Manu, the origin, the Argentine, origin, not sure how to say that, but regardless, uh, you know, he was just a catalyst for those early, or not early, but those Spurs teams that were just a dynasty there for so many years. And, you know, you look at how he he meshed with Tim, how he meshed with Tony, how he meshed with even, a you know, a Kawhi later in his career. Um, you know, just just amazing, really, to watch. And, hey, look who we got. We got Al back. That's nice to see. Um, I don't know what happened. So I got, uh, four, I got three bars. Al, we were uh, rolling through. I just did Dennis Rodman. You got any thoughts okay. on the worm? I call him the best defensive player of all time. I don't really think that's a stretch. My favorite Dennis Rodman video is where he's diving through the air. Oh, yeah, the, the diving like, through the air where he's just oh. – It's Superman, literally 180 degrees. <laughs> and uh, I love that's, – that's just – that's priceless. Um, but uh, – and, and I love the, the – okay – that's number one. Number two, he gets the rebounds, and then he underhand passes it to uh, to Michael, right? Yeah, I, I think I, I did actually forget my favorite. My probably my favorite Dennis Rodman story uh, is uh, I think I've told it before on the podcast, but it's it's in the Last Dance, and he's going. I just I just told him shoot it like I knew where Michael wanted to go. He go, and it's just it's sound. I'm like, what are you doing? But. And, uh, but yeah, the fact uh, that he did not play basketball till when he was eighteen or nineteen—is that right? Years old. I mean, it's just—it's just unreal. Just, uh, just unreal. Just talk about walking into a 
basketball gym and just having natural God-given ability. You just – you well, can't deny he, it. And he hit a growth spurt. You know, he hit a That's right. growth spurt. He was like 6'2 or 6'3. Or it was like six foot or six one, and he's six seven. We might have to have Dennis Rodman week, Rob, on the podcast. That might be a, a staple. Oh gosh, <laughs> that that'd be. We'll, I'll I'll dye my hair and we'll we'll roll on a show. We'll, yeah, that's the one we'll we'll show to the people. We'll put that one on yeah. YouTube. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I've I've kind of finished my stuff on Manu. Do you have anything you wanted to add? I think you heard most of it. Were you on? Uh, you just got done talking about Manu. Yeah. Just you know, kind of quote quote unquote invents the euro step, right? So yeah, okay, uh, I did actually forget about that. Yeah, so yeah, he so the euro step, and everybody used to yell at him. He's walking, he's walking, but just the role that he, you know, because it really look he was an incredible player, but look he he had a role on that San Antonio Spurs team, and without Manu, I think Tony Parker and uh, Tim would say that they they might not get a championship. Uh, you know, as many as they had without Manu and his – the things he did to give to that San Antonio team. Absolutely. And so – he, he, was, he was Tony – he was the Tony coach coming later on into the NBA. Yeah, well, he was the first of those South American players that kind of made it. He kind of paved the way for the South American guys, whether it be a Luis Scola, a Boris yeah. Leal, a Leandro Barbosa, who we saw right. contribute to those – Warriors team, right? right. You know, he kind of Berejao. Did we say Berejao? The wild thing. Um, but I think know, he was Brazilian, right? Yeah. In the way that Tony opened it up for the Europeans. Well, and, and again, I, I'm giving a lot of credit to Tony. It, it wasn't solely Tony. You go back at Drazen Petrovic, Vladi Divac, also. Yeah. In the way they Peja, opened up. Peja. Yeah. Well, Peja was later. He was. I know he was later, by, but yeah. By those guys, but in the way that they influenced the they open the eyes of NBA to the Europeans. I think the, you know, Manu opened the eyes of the NBA to the South Americans. Right. I agree. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And so now we will talk about the, our last player. Number one is one of those Europeans and it's Nikola Jokic. Uh, just something I've never seen before. I mean, We've talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast about his abilities as a passer, as a shooter, as a dribbler. His post moves are absolutely elite. And I think that's what gets missed so much, Al. We talk about his passing. We talk about, you know, bringing the ball down. But, I mean, he can go down there and get in the post and bang with people. And, right. I mean, his post moves are elite. They're like a late 90s post player. Like, it feels like the post moves have been lost or a lost art. And, He's showing people they're not. I mean, he's putting people on the spin cycle. Right. He's a complete player um, offensively, defensively. His knowledge of the game, basketball IQ. I just think that goes to show just those European players, just how well they know the game. Serbia. Serbia has put some great players in the M NBA, and uh, they just play with such, such knowledge of the game. They almost play with like a, you know, a sixth sense, so to speak, just – they they know they know the right play to make before the play even happens, you know. Well, they're so fundamentally sound. That's the other thing. Yeah. They drill fundamentals at such an early age, and you know, you and I can have a talk about this another day, and we'll we'll I'll I'll give my thoughts on it, but I, and I'll just kind of touch on it right here. I think because they don't have that AAU culture, that fundamentals yeah. drilled into them instead of the flashy. Right plays, you know, between the legs, behind the back passes, shooting 30 footers. 
They right. just need the fundamentals. So they come in yeah. at a level that that's why they can. I think that's why we see a lot of them nowadays succeed at the NBA level because they they're drilled on those fundamentals for so many years. Right. They all can pass. They all can shoot. They all can handle the ball. And they're and you know they're that's at every age and that's at every height and a position. So and they know the game. The the, the coaches they have in in Europe and really Serbia. Because I think Serbian basketball is kind of leading the charge in Europe um, and Spain. I'd say Spain and Serbia for sure. But uh, I think those guys, they just they do a great job teaching the game the right way. Absolutely. Well, folks, that will do it for our special edition Saturday morning podcast here. Um, and I, I will say two more honorable mentions, Chris Middleton, Mark Gasol. On absolutely, that, on that absolutely. Can't forget. Can't Not, forget I like, but I like, but I like our top ten list for sure. Can't forget our uh, Memphis Grizzly brethren of the grit and grind era there. Um, but that will actually do it for the show. Um, we should be coming to you possibly Monday night, could be Tuesday night, but we will be back with you in a few days. And uh, Al, have a great weekend. Smile, everybody. You too. Saturday. You've been listening to Ride the Pine, and we'll see you next time. Oh, that was good.